Today's reading is from 1 Peter 2, verses 11 to 25. And in the NIV Bible that I looked at, it was titled, Living Godly Lives in a Pagan Society. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he tr entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen. Thanks so much, John. Well, good morning, one and all. Good morning to you in the auditorium and certainly good morning to you who are online with us as well. Just as a note of clarification, we were told we were having an update of Jean-Claude and Joyce. That was obviously Tim Downs there and you possibly would have seen uh, Mel walking through uh, one of the shots there as well as she celebrated or praised the Lord with the women of the village. Uh, Tim and Mel are in the same area in Malawi and uh, Jean-Claude and Joyce uh, are newer workers there but they're continuing to do much the same work as Tim and Mel. Tim and Mel incidentally were part of the youth group of the church I was in in Rockhampton many many years ago so I actually knew them before they were married and Tim's an incredible guy really down to earth uh, he was a chippy before he you know, heard the call of the Lord to go to the mission field and him and Mel 
uh, consider Malawi their home now. So I continue to pray for those people, continue to pray for the great work that is occurring over there. Uh, there's good things happening and it's great to see God's word being spread like that. Well, we're continuing in our series of 1 Peter and uh, as you heard, Pastor Darrell is over at Hertford Street this morning and he's celebrating over there with them. And uh, I believe that Pastor Darrell spoke last week about Jesus being the living stone and how we as his followers should be becoming like him spiritual stones which are being built up into a spiritual house and Jesus is the great high priest and we are called to a holy priesthood and we are to offer spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God. We first and foremost need to offer ourselves to him and these are those living sacrifices offered constantly to Jesus Christ each and every day and this is part of our true worship of him as our Lord and Saviour. So we are to constantly offer praise. And this is evident in the type of life that we live for him. We're to do good for others. In fact, we're to be proactive in this and we're to do good for those even who don't do good to us. We're to share with others. We're to be generous with all we have and we're to be generous with our time. We're called to be witnesses about all that Jesus has done for us, the transformation he's made in our life, the good he has done, and we are to pray constantly. And all of this because we're a chosen people, a priesthood, a royal nation, a special possession of God himself, and all of that so we can declare his praises, the praises of him who called us from darkness into light. Remember, we are being built into God's house and family and our call is to work with God in expanding this house and bringing others into the family. And so with that in mind, that being the background, we look at today's passage and this expounds more on who we really are in Christ, how we should be living as alien strangers or pilgrims in this world. This is not our home. We're just passing through. And Peter is reminding us that the way we live should actually reflect that truth. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you first and foremost that for the vast majority who are hearing my voice, they have been called from darkness to light and they now have accepted you as their Lord and Saviour. And Lord, we come to honour and glorify you first and foremost this morning, but Lord, we want to hear from you as well. And so I pray that you, by power of Holy Spirit, will just bring to light the things that each individual needs to hear in order to transform their life, to change their life, to be drawn closer to you and to live more for you today than they did yesterday. Open our eyes and ears to hear what you have to say, I pray, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm sure if you've read through the passage of Scripture before today or if you paid any attention to what was being read out this morning, you'd agree that there's a huge chunk of Scripture there. So I want to tell you straight up, I'm not going to cover everything that's there. We could spend a very substantial period of time in this passage of Scripture. So if there's things that you think I should have said, I apologise, but we just don't have the time to be quite honest. So this is going to be an overview, touching on a few relevant points for us I think this morning and I encourage you go home dig further into the word and, and see what God says to you about this uh, because there is so much that we could get out of this passage but I think Peter first and foremost begins this section by talking about honourable living 
And then he goes on to emphasize why we should be living lives like this. He says that we are sojourners and exiles. And this basically means that we're strangers and aliens in this world. And the whole point of Peter using these terms is to emphasize that to believers everywhere that this is not their home. The word translated strangers here can easily be translated pilgrims. A pilgrim is someone who is on a journey and that's true for us. We're living on this earth but we're only here for a period of time. Our life here is part of an ongoing journey, a journey where we are not interested in accepting the customs of those around us or settling for what can be offered here. It's not about our present situation. Those who are on this journey are looking ahead. They're looking forward to the end of the journey when they will be finally home in a land that we can call our own. A place where we as Christians were born to be. And this should be our story. And I wonder how much we get it messed up. I wonder how wrong we actually get it. And I can raise my hand and say, I mess up more often than I care for. But if we've been called by God, if we have this call of Jesus Christ on our life, then this is a word for us. This is not our home. And we need to lift our eyes from the material things and get over our selfish attitudes and focus on that which really matters. And this requires a shift in our attitudes, a shift from the things of this world that are temporal to the things of God which are eternal. If we get this right, there should be notable differences between us and those who don't know Jesus Christ. Why? Because this world has a different culture to the culture that Jesus speaks about. This world has a different language to the language that we're told to speak. This world has different standards to the standards that Jesus calls us to. And there are many things that we could talk about related to that. There's many things that we could hone in. But I just want to talk on one that Peter constantly pushes. He says we're to love one another. Remember he said back in 1 Peter 5 that we're being built into this spiritual house. We're all literally individual bricks being put together into this spiritual house for God. And this wall that we're part of is part of the temple of God, His church. And we're each a part of it. As such, the church, including all of us here at STBC, need to be of one mind. We need to be united. We need to have one purpose in God. He's given us that one purpose to make disciples of all nations to raise up disciplined followers of him. But in order to do that, we have to put aside all malice, all envy, all speech that tears down, anything that breaks down that unity. We're part of the one building. And so this, by Peter, is an appeal to saintliness. And it's at the very core of this message that we should no longer resemble those of the world. We should no longer do what they do. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, there is an expectation of a total transformation. And that is an inward and an outward transformation. And it's a constant in Scripture. I am a new creation in Christ. I've put to death my old self. I've risen to new life in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Is that true? Are we living that? 
Our lives are the lives of an evangelist. We are called, each and every one of us, to make disciples. And as such, it's not just about what we say, it's also about what we do, it's about how we live, it's how we conduct ourselves. It's living in a way that expresses the good character that we are called to express. We, it is exemplified in our good conduct, it's outstanding behaviour, it is holiness and all of that is because we are striving each and every day to become more and more Christ-like. And again, don't hear me saying that when you, become, when you strive after Jesus, you are gaining salvation, that is not it. Our salvation is in the finished work of Christ and Christ alone. But because of that work, we want to live in obedience to Him. And living in obedience to Him brings that holiness and saintliness that we are called. And in fact, our lives are called to be beautiful, spiritually beautiful. Think about what is said of Jesus in Isaiah 53 2. It says, He had no formal majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus was an ordinary man to look upon him, and yet there was something so vastly different about him. Think about this Jesus who spoke to that Samaritan woman, a woman who was a sworn enemy of the Israelites, and yet Jesus sat and he spoke with her. There was something that touched her in that conversation. Think about Jesus as he encountered those lepers, and these were men and women who used to have to walk down the streets crying, unclean, 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 so I could cross the road and get away from them. And not only did Jesus speak to these people, he reached out and touched them. He was willing to touch the untouchable. Think about Jesus as those who were persecuting him, beating him and killing him begged for their forgiveness. Think about this Jesus on the cross, who looked towards a thief and saw something in that man that no one else had seen. Everyone else had given up on him. And Jesus looked to him and saw a value and worth that no one else could. That was the beauty of Jesus. That was the thing that really stood out. And we are called to be like him. We are called to be like Jesus. We're called to reflect his love and selfless attitude to the world. And it isn't for our benefit. is so that unbelievers will glorify God. And when we think about what's said here about being spoken against as evildoers, there's a good chance that Peter may be referring to what has been said about the early Christians. The early Christians were accused of turning the world upside down, of creating so many problems, of disobeying Caesar. They were also accused of being atheists, blasphemers, heretics and idolaters. And these people are just accusing the Christians constantly over and over and over and they're saying that the Christians are evildoers. And Peter says, they're going to say these things, just get used to it. It's going to happen. But don't be like them. Don't retaliate. Don't repay evil for evil. Be Christ-like. They're going to be watching you. They will see how you react. They want to see how you respond to what they're saying. They want to see if you try and retaliate. They will watch you closely, looking for any faults or inconsistencies with this message that you're proclaiming. And they're going to watch how you live. They're going to be looking for inconsistencies there. And so Peter tells us to live in such a way that when they see your good conduct, when they see your saintly conduct, when they see that Christ-likeness, they'll have no choice but to glorify God. It's Peter pointing back 
to the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 5.16 in the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And in this, it is Peter's hope that the way Christians conduct themselves will cause unbelievers to be drawn to God. Not because of who they are, not because, but because of Jesus Christ in them. The lives that they live as a result of submitting themselves to him. And there's many who testify to the transformation that has occurred in some of the most violent criminals who have put Christians to death and they come to faith simply because of the way the Christians died. That's clear testimony to what is here, but it happens in so many other things as well where people have testified to the fact that they came to faith because they saw something in a Christian that they just couldn't comprehend, couldn't understand. That was the love, the grace, the acceptance and forgiveness of Christ flowing through them. We're different because our hope and security is in Christ in each and every circumstance. Nothing else. Our focus is on God. Our will is submitted to his will. Our lives are about obedience to him. And because of this, Peter moves on and says, because of this, because we are being aliens, because we have to obey Jesus, then we must submit to authority. And there's many who call themselves Christians who protest any suggestion of their need to submit to authority. And I don't know how they can say they're followers of Jesus and yet um, reject any of his commands. It's here in 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14. Peter calls us to submit for the Lord's sake. And when we submit for the Lord's sake, we're honouring God in the midst of that and we avoid being punished by him for disobedience. That's what his scripture says. And the point is emphasised in what Paul says in Romans 13, 1 and 2 as well. Every believer must submit themselves to the governing authorities because there is no authority except that which Jesus has established, that which God has established. And it is God who institutes the authorities. If we rebel against them, we are rebelling against God. Those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. It says that. God's word, not my word. As hard as it is to accept, we are called to be in subjection to the government authorities. And these authorities being rarely Christian is what God calls us to do. And these authorities will infringe on our civil rights. They may stop RI in schools. They may kick out our chaplains. They may approve late-term abortions. They may promote promiscuity. They may enforce COVID restrictions on us. They may do all sorts of things which we don't actually agree with, but until they attempt to have us personally sin against our God, we must submit to them. That is God's word. You know, we may think that Peter and Paul are speaking this in a time that was much better than what we're experiencing at the moment, that this is an ideal world or a better day that we're talking about. But when we think about when 1 Peter was written, uh, they're saying it's most likely that it was in the early 60s AD. Do you know who was in power at that time and that Peter would be speaking about right at this moment? That guy's name was Nero. Nero was a very interesting character put down in history. He was known for his debauchery. He was known for his political murders. He was known for his persecution of Christians even using Christians as candles at his dinner parties. 
I think Peter and Paul knew what it was like to have evil leaders. And yet they say, you need to submit to the governing authorities. And submitting to these God-ordained but not God-fearing authorities is God's will for us. All through history, there are examples of leaders being raised up as a judgment of God because people have turned away from him. Think about when the Israelites demanded a king. God was supposed to be their king. And they yet demanded a king. And Saul was appointed, who ended up being oppressive. And then the people ultimately humbled themselves and returned to God. Think about the judgment of God in Isaiah 3, where the heroes, warriors, judges, prophets, in fact, all of those of power, wisdom and faith were taken. And young people were raised up to be their rulers. Again, it was a time when they had walked away from God. And this was God's judgment. And it's repeated again and again and again throughout Scripture. Why do we think it's going to be any different for us? Those who rule over us are there, appointed by God for his purposes. And we're told to submit to them. Doing otherwise not only disrespects that government authority, but it disrespects God. And it proves we don't live in obedience to him. We're told to be subject to our masters also in this passage. And many would say, well, this isn't applicable or relevant to us anymore, but the thinking here is very applicable to our employer and employee relationships. Peter says to be subject to all masters. And many of us have experienced good and gentle, kind bosses. And it's a pleasure to work for them, whether they're Christian or not. We just love being with them. But then there's others... who aren't like that. They're harsh, they're difficult, they're unreasonable. And I've had a few of those. But what we need to realise, when we read this word, it's really got nothing to do with our bosses. It's about us. The challenge is about how we're living. The call is about how you conduct yourself in those very difficult situations. And it's, a, it's, it's calling for us to have this willingness to submit to God in all things, all areas of our life. If you have difficulties with your boss, submit. Submit to God. Be willing to obey those guys. Be subject to them. And it's a difficult call. But God wants us to conduct ourselves in such a way that people see the difference. And they see the difference in such a way that they're drawn to him. And I know I've, I've been in workplaces where people knew I was a Christian before I became a pastor. And they gave me all sorts of trouble, all sorts of difficulty. But what was really interesting was when some of those guys ended up against it, when something particularly difficult came into their lives, they were the ones who quietly tapped on the door and came in and said, will you pray for me? At that time, I could have gone, Aha! Now you're in trouble, you come to me! No, that was an opportunity. And that was an opportunity presented because our conduct was different to those around. They didn't go to their other mates. They came to me. And that wasn't because of me, that was because of Jesus. 
And that's something that's repeated again and again and again if we're willing to submit. But why? Why should we do that? Well, it's quite simply because if we do, we'll be following Jesus' example. I know we say we are following Jesus. I have to question, are we? Are we really? For those who are doing master life, what's the first memory verse? Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after him, after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. It's a constant thing. You deny yourself and take up your cross daily. This is about our sanctification. This is our choice each and every day, saying it's no longer about me, it's about you, Lord, you and me together. Let's do this day. Let's make this happen. Lord, I want to do what you would have me to do. When we talk about sanctification, it is those things that are set apart as holy and useful to God. And the only way we can be holy and useful to God in our days is to submit to him each and every moment of each and every day. I've put to death my old self. My life now is all about him. I've been raised to that new life in Christ. I'm no longer going to live for the things that I want, the desires that I have. I am going to live for him. Whatever that is, whatever the cost, I'm going to do whatever Jesus wants me to do. And what does he want? He wants us to grow more and more like him. He wants to be able to be reflected through us more and more. He wants us to spend time with him so that his grace, his love, his glory fills us to overflowing. And then when we go out into the world, that overflow has a knock-on effect to those around us. That's what we're called to do. We must spend time with the master. We must engage with him. We must submit to him. And what's the example that he left? 1 Peter 2, 22 and 23. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus suffered terribly. He suffered unjustly. He had committed no sin. He had done nothing wrong. When he was reviled or insulted or abused, however you want to interpret that, he didn't retaliate or respond in kind. When he suffered and was inflicted, he didn't seek revenge or threaten those who did him harm. He simply continued to lean on God, trusting that God's will and purpose would be done and that God would give him the strength to endure whatever it was he had to endure, to get through what God needed him to do in order for him to obey his heavenly Father and fulfill his Father's will. Jesus loved graciously, and our call is to follow his example. Because he is our example, we must be like he is. We must live like him, love like him, be gracious like him we are not to let any deceit come from our mouths we are not to deceive others we are not to seek to criticize or insult others even if they've done that to us we're not to do it we're not to utter threats against others even when they've caused us to suffer we're to trust that god will continue to be with us 
and guide us and our actions as we prayerfully seek him, his wisdom, his guidance and his will in our lives. He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. When we rejoice in the sufferings of Christ, when we live for him, there are things that are going to come upon us because of that. There are struggles we're going to face. There are persecutions that are going to come, afflictions that are going to be upon us. We should be willing to do that because we were healed of the wages of sin and death by his sufferings. And if we're called to be Christ-like, we should be willing to suffer for him as well. We should be willing to take whatever is thrown at us and suffer without retaliation, without revenge, and in so doing, our actions and the way we conduct ourselves reveal the grace of God through us. And as I've said, men will be drawn to God as a result. And what an honour and privilege for us to partner with God in his incredible work of drawing people into the kingdom. I'm hoping that as we move through this passage, God has spoken to you. But there's a few things I'd like you to think about. I think they're things that we take for granted when it comes to our life with Christ. Think about these words. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are God's own possession, a people who've received great mercy and love, forgiveness, acceptance. Do we believe that? Do we claim that? Do we understand just how incredible that is? We're to be a people who worship God. And we seem to have whittled worship down to singing songs on a Sunday. It's not just about music and song. It's about our very lives. It's about each and every day choosing him over everything else. It's about worshipping him with the way we live. It's about sacrificing my wants for him. It's about daily denying myself in order to glorify him. It's about taking up my cross and following him. And that's each and every day. Doing so involves warfare. And yes, there's the warfare against the power of darkness which entice us with all those things that are not of God. But there's this warfare against our flesh as well. It's against who we once were. It's about putting that to death constantly. It's about denying those desires. It's about denying what I myself want and accepting what Jesus has, his plans and purpose for me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the decisions I make, the decisions we make, should always be with God in mind. How we react and we respond to those injustices against us should be in line with how Jesus would react and respond. And I know this is a difficult thing and it involves reconditioning our mind. We're told in Scripture to gird up our minds. That's what it's about. It's about not accepting our conduct and behaviour and saying, well, I'm just like that. That's the way that I'm made. It's about saying, well, how would Jesus conduct himself? And if he would conduct himself different to me, how do I get there? How do I submit myself to God in such a way that he can do this miraculous work in me where I become more and more like him? 
It's about not accepting who you are and believing there's a greater good. There's a greater way to live for Jesus and submitting fully to him. And we live this way because this is bringing God's kingdom, our home, where we desire to be. It's about bringing that to earth. We pray that, but I don't know if we believe it. Lord, your kingdom come. We get a taste of his kingdom when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. Those around us who don't know him get a taste of his kingdom when they see the way we conduct ourselves because the rules and that that we are bound from are totally different to this world and it should influence us. It should transform us. It should change us. I am not a citizen of this earth. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a son of the Most High God. I should act like it. The world is temporary. I'm just passing through. And I'm to live with that attitude of love and grace towards all men, women and children, friend and foe alike. I'm to get, always to conduct myself in a manner that draw people to God. So what's God saying to you now? What area of your life is he putting your finger on? His finger on, sorry. Well, what is he saying that you need to work on? I simply ask you not, not to ignore what he's saying. Don't trivialise it. Don't put it aside and say, well, I'll deal with that sometime. He won't call forever. And if you're hearing his voice telling you to do something that you need to sort out, you need to make a plan before you leave today to do that. You need to take steps in order to honour him. How we live in respect to, believe, to unbelievers and those in authority over us will have a huge impact upon our witness and testimony as individuals, but also as a church. What are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for how it's challenged me. And Lord, I know you challenge your people because that's the power of your word. And Lord, I, I want to ask for your forgiveness for the times I haven't submitted to the government authorities over us. When I haven't submitted to those bosses who are particularly kind or nice. When Lord, I've desired my own things. And Father, I know there's people here who will pray the same prayers. But Lord, this morning, we ask that your will and your work will be done. And Lord, for many, both here in the auditorium and at home, there are people who need to repent and submit to you. I pray that you will do that work by power of Holy Spirit, Lord, and that we will become a united people, each a brick in that wall, that spiritual house that you're building. Continue to build your church, I pray, Father. In Jesus' name.